ever feel lost in the Bible story thinking, why does this all matter? Well, today we'll look into the developing themes to help us not miss the forest for the trees. Thanks for tuning in to The Bible Brief. Genesis is brimming with themes and lessons that serve as a foundation for the rest of the Bible story. And since we reviewed the story in the last episode, we'll look closer at the themes in this episode. Moving forward, you'll want to keep each of these in mind so that you can trace each of these themes through the Bible as we go. Tracing a theme can help you understand exactly how God uses things that we might consider odd, like animal sacrifice, to achieve something greater that means something more than simply the death of an animal. Said another way, these themes can be a key to drawing the appropriate meaning and significance of later events in the Bible. Okay, so let's get into it. Today we'll discuss three themes. The sovereignty of God, mankind's identity crisis, and sacrifices in blood. First, let's talk about the sovereignty of God. A good summary of this theme is found in one of the Psalms, another name for songs in the Bible. Psalm 24 has a line that says, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. There's a logical statement here that I briefly want to focus on. Everything is God's because he made it. That's it. Simply because God created everything, he has the right and the rule over everything. In our jog through, we saw this play out from the beginning. First, we saw the amazing creation over six days, where God, by just his words, made all the elements, the earth and the skies, all the creatures, and finally humanity on day six. And we focused on the seemingly infinitely complex nature of creating something even like light. We mentioned that light is in particles and waves. It creates shadows, refraction, reflection, and visual perception itself. The amazing nature of just light came straight from the mind of God. But not only did God create things, He expressed a purpose for many of those things. And we focused on His purposing of humanity itself. They were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Perhaps more simply put, have babies and spread out while conquering the earth. This was God's original commission for humanity, and he had every right to make the commission because he, as the creator, has the rights over his creation. Sometimes people call this quality of God sovereignty, and I want to define that for you because many people confuse sovereignty for something else. Sovereignty is simply this, God's right to do what he wants whenever he wants. Think about what we call sovereigns. Maybe you've heard this applied to kings over countries. We say that they have sovereignty within their own territory, that they have a right to do what they want whenever they want, simply because they're sovereign over that territory. This is the best analogy for God's rule over the world. God retains all right to do what he wants whenever he wants, and this right includes the granting of subordinate sovereignty to others. For example, as humans would conquer the earth, they would become sovereigns over it, where they would do whatever they want whenever they wanted. They would have a sovereignty, though, that existed below God's overarching sovereignty. Maybe a good way to picture this is a circle within a circle. If God's sovereignty contains the biggest circle possible, then as an expression of His sovereignty, He has the right to grant subordinate sovereignty to anything else. This subordinate sovereignty might be expressed as smaller circles of sovereignty within God's larger circle. 
While this may seem a bit philosophical, it's an important concept because people often wonder this. They say, if God is sovereign, why can things happen that God doesn't like? And the simple answer is this. God, for his reasons, has allowed other beings to have subordinate sovereignty under him. And those beings may not do what would bring God pleasure. This is what happened in the garden. God allowed beings to express their subordinate sovereignty in ways that displeased God. Further, we saw the interactions between these circles of sovereignty in Babylon. The people decided to do something, and God decided that this time he would intervene to stop their project. God didn't merely have the right. He expressed his sovereign right and confused their languages. I say this for one reason that will continue to be apparent as we go through the Bible together. God is the king of the world and sovereign over everything in it. He created it, and he retains all rights to it. Yet, his creatures to whom he gave certain domains of sovereignty can rebel against him. He has the right to choose whether to intervene or not. Sometimes in the story we will see amazing divine intervention, but sometimes we may ask ourselves, why is God silent here? In both cases, God is expressing his sovereignty. God has a right, not an obligation to intervene in the world's affairs. Another psalm says it best with a simple line, Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. Our second theme in this episode relates to the first, that mankind is in an identity crisis because of rebelling against God. We've already discussed that God gave the man and the woman a commission to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We also saw God's expression of authoritative order with his creation of God, then the man, then the woman, and then the creatures. Remember that this authority structure was shown in the function of naming. This all came with a prohibition, too. They were not supposed to eat fruit from a certain tree in the garden. And as you'll recall, the humans failed to subdue the serpent when he deceived Eve, who led Adam, who all disobeyed God. This commission, the order, and the prohibition were all violated, and mankind became corrupt with sin, which we saw play out in all the generations after Adam and Eve. Here's the trouble with the corruption. This knowledge of good and evil that resulted from eating from that forbidden tree came with shackles. Those shackles meant that God's purposes were questioned and rebelled against in a slavery to sin. In a sense, despite being in God's image, Humanity took on something of the serpent when they fell in the garden. Humans began to have a propensity towards the same question that the serpent had. Did God really say? Perhaps Cain questioned, did God really say that I should do what is right and rule over sin? Maybe the Babylonians questioned, did God really say that we should fill the earth instead of congregate? Abraham may have said, did God really say that he would accomplish the promises? Maybe I need to do something. Here's the point. Humanity, by virtue of being corrupt with sin, confuses its sense of identity and purpose. Each person thinks that they are the master of themselves and the purposer of their own lives. Each person thinks that they need to create an identity apart from everyone else. Each person, perhaps, sees themselves as the only one who can determine their identity. We all tend to want an identity apart from God. But ultimately, 
What we have forgotten is that identity is bestowed, not created. Identity is something given to us, not created by us. This is perhaps the great mistake of the current age. We think that identity is what we do, who our friends are, what our income is, what gender we claim, or what party we vote for. But none of this is identity. This is all action. Identity is firmly rooted and established by God. It's something that everyone receives by the simple fact of being created by God and being loved by God. Most people confuse identity with purpose. They think that if they find their purpose, that they'll find their identity. They search far and wide for the career, the spouse, the surgery, the experience, or the friendships that will somehow let them know that they've found what they are made for. But unfortunately, this gets it wrong, because purpose itself doesn't exist apart from identity. Identity contains purpose, and you can't search for identity, because identity is something you're given. It's only in being given a new identity that you can be given a new purpose. A great way to think about this is with the name change of Abraham. His former name, Abram, means exalted father, where his new name from God, Abraham, means father of a multitude. God gave him a new identity which expressed a new purpose, and that new purpose led to action. Since his identity was father of a multitude, his purpose would be to follow God in faith as God worked out his promise of offspring. Eventually, that led to faithful action, resulting in the baby boy Isaac. Abraham began to express his identity because his identity contained a purpose, and that purpose caused corresponding action. I'm not going to give everything here on this, because this theme will continue to take shape as we move through the narrative, but I want you to keep your eyes open for something. Over the next several episodes, you'll begin to notice a pattern. People begin to look for identity to be given to them by things that they create. They create fake gods that give them fake identities. And these fake identities create fake purpose that betrays the depths to which fakeness has seeped into the human heart because of sin. Did God really say? Turns into, who is God anyway? We have our own. Finally, our third theme, sacrifices and blood. This subject is perhaps most alien to us in our culture. Why would anyone sacrifice animals and spread blood out? Isn't that grotesque and kind of disgusting? Well, let me tell you something you probably know already, but may not have thought about in this way. The Christian worldview has built so much of the Western world as we see it that we've simply forgotten that sacrifice is ultimately what the Christian life is built upon. Yes, that's an odd statement, but listen to it. The Bible teaches that the once-for-all sacrifice that was needed for humanity was accomplished by Jesus. It's this reason that we think sacrifices are weird or disgusting. We are 2,000 years separated from the events that put an end to the need for sacrifices. The ultimate sacrifice was already completed by Jesus. So now, 2,000 years later, we're so distant from sacrifices that they seem alien. The beginning of the Bible, though, paints the picture of the beginnings of a system that gets <clears throat> fleshed out as we go through the story. The beginning of the Bible is filled with sacrifice. First, we have God slay an animal to provide a covering for Adam and Eve. Then we see Abel sacrifice the best of his flock to God. 
Later, we see Noah sacrifice to God after being saved from the great flood. Then we see Abraham sacrifice a ram on the mountains of Moriah. And we skipped over many other sacrifices by others in the book of Genesis. All these people had the sense, somehow, that it was honoring to God to sacrifice what they had. Perhaps to help us at this point in the story, I'll say this. Sacrifice shows at least two things. First, it shows that one is seeking to honor God by giving up something valuable to Him. And second, it shows that one is dependent upon God because you can't get back the valuable thing that's been given to God. God's provision becomes the theme of every sacrifice because God is the initial provider of all good things to everyone. The question is, who will recognize that God was the giver? As we move forward in the story, keep an eye out for sacrifices. This system gets very developed over the next few books of the Bible, and we'll see that sacrifices indeed honor God, but they must be done in the proper way. Now in this episode, we've looked at God's sovereignty, mankind's identity crisis, and sacrifices in blood. What you should take away from this is simply that these themes find their beginning in Genesis, and that you should pay special attention to them as we move forward in the story. I won't always dwell on these in each episode, so I'm counting on you to notice these for yourself before we have another recap like this one. Okay, so next episode, we'll move back into the story as we begin the book of Exodus. Things are going to get interesting as we see a battle between the true God and the fake gods of the Egyptians. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Do you have a question about the Bible? It could be featured on a future show. You can submit a question by going to our website, BibleLiteracyFoundation.com, and clicking on the podcast page. There you can submit a text or audio question. We'd love to hear from you. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022